On episode 195 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll hear about the eight biggest mistakes that you're making in your tennis training with special guest Peter Freeman. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is obviously Mirban Iranshad, and I hope that you're doing really well. I have been insanely busy, so as we speak, uh, Tennis Summit 2021 is running right now. We've got over 10,000 people registered and we're in the thick of things. We've had some incredible presentations. I'm actually interviewing uh, Nick Boletari uh, this week as well for a live stream. And yeah, it's, it's been going great and it, I've just really enjoyed all the great outpouring of support and participation and comments. So for this episode, I am actually bringing to you uh, a presentation that I did with Peter Freeman over the weekend on the eight biggest mistakes that you're making in your tennis training. And I think this is a really valuable one. And we did do this as a live stream over the weekend. However, I know that a lot of you who listen to the podcast may not have listened to this. And um, in any case, even if you did participate, which is awesome uh, during the live live stream, then you should still re-listen because this is a big recap, very important recap of all the mistakes that both Peter and I have found uh, club level players to be making that if they corrected even one of these, which is what you should do, just focus at, you know, on one at a time, then you're going to make huge strides in your tennis game. So that is the summarization of the episode. And now we'll go straight into it. So here is that live stream interview with coach Peter Freeman. You know what? Let's just launch right into it because we do have a lot to cover today. And I know we don't have a you know, infinity time. Uh, so we're, we're pretty busy. But Peter, let's let you bring out your very first biggest mistake that we're all making or a lot of us are making in our tennis training. Yeah. So here is, uh, and I'm going to get to the actual point, but, uh, but I, I, I just want to share a story with you today. I gave my second lesson to a student on his backhand. And his goal is he wants to be a four five player. He's about 33 years old and he wants to be a four five. That's his goal. And right now he's uh, kind of middle of the road four oh, and he really needs to improve his two handed backhand to get to that level. We had a great lesson, our first lesson. We filmed a lot of it. We had a lot of great results and he did phenomenal. He's a really good student. He like picks up things super fast. And as soon as I met him today, so it's been two weeks since we've had a lesson, I asked, hey, have you um, gone through the exercises that we, we went through? He's like, well, I've been playing a lot of matches. And I, I'm like, okay. I said, but have you had time to like really work on the stuff? Because it's going to be tough to go from our lessons right into incorporating into a match. He's like, well, no, I really haven't done that because I played, I played a lot of matches. And then as soon as we went into everything, we basically had to redo the, the lesson one. And then by the end of the lesson, guess what? He's on fire again. He looks amazing. But it'll be very interesting as a coach to see if he comes back and is in the same exact spot he was today or if he's moved forward. See, I can always tell when students do their homework. And one of the things that I always, so, so here it is, a lot of students, they don't see the value in shadow stroking because there's ex, there are excuses always like, I played a lot of matches, or I didn't have time, or the weather was no good. And even if he were to just be at home doing these shadow stroke exercises, which really is almost more beneficial to him because he needs to develop that muscle memory. Um, and a lot of students just don't see the value in it. They just don't believe it's going to work for them the way that coaches know it will. That's why all the coaches are always begging students to do it, but very few students actually will do the work. 
That's really great stuff, Peter. And um, I can definitely empathize because I remember actually doing a uh, live stream with you. And then a couple of days later, I got an email and this individual um, basically said that they couldn't do any training because it was raining outside. And I said, oh, how about you do shadow strokes? And the response I got was kind of almost dismissive. But shadow strokes are really, really beneficial. And I mean, you can do them anywhere. No equipment needed. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, with your racket would be good. But otherwise, uh, yeah, it, it's just a great thing to do. And it, it you know, the problem with, with trying certain techniques in, you know, a new technique in a playing environment is that there's all this pressure a lot of times, especially in matches. And so you're going to revert naturally to your old uh, habits. So when you're doing shadow swings, that's the best first phase that you can start with when you're uh, figuring out your technique. And uh, so I highly encourage everybody to do shadow strokes for sure. So beautiful point there, Peter. So I will go with, actually, let's look at the comments here. Okay, great. Just some checking if there's any comments on that. So before I launch into my uh, first point, I just want to give a big thanks to our sponsor for the summit, uh, Slinger Bag. Uh, I have one of these and you can see cool. it kind of behind me. I love their ball machine and I've been using it a lot recently. So big thanks to Slinger Bag for their support. So my first one is a big one. And I actually talked to Craig O'Shaughnessy recently and he brought this up. And then I talked to Satoshi Ochi, who is the head of strength conditioning at USCA Player Development. And then he brought the same point up. And so the biggest mistake that for me that I see is that players don't quite adapt their training for tennis. So what I mean by this is, to Craig's point, is, you know, if you look at the average number of points, and, and you definitely want to check out his session for the summit because he gets into this more, but, you know, points in tennis, the average number of shots are, I think, around four shots or so. Um, but if you look at a ton of the, the training, the, the like 90% of the training that a lot of players are doing is just like, you know, 20, 30 balls cross court. They're, they're barely ever practicing their serve and their return. But yet, you know, that's what you want to be focusing on is that the majority of the points are going to be, you know, serve return, serve plus one, and then maybe the, the, the next shot if there is one. So, you know, I, I think that's one point, uh, you know, strictly relative to, to tennis points. And also in your tennis um, training, like your exercises and strength training, a lot of times people are just not doing the right exercises or the right tempo. Like, you know, a lot of people are running long distances because they, they want to get fit for tennis, but that's not the proper training. You have to keep in mind the rest ratios in uh, tennis uh, points, you know, like like your you're often, I think you're resting more time than you're playing. So you have to keep that in mind when you're building your routines. So uh, you really do want to make your training, both the tennis and, uh, you know, physical, uh, like weight room and, and so forth and agility, like gear it towards tennis and make sure it is towards tennis and not something else. And, you know, when you first start training, it's fine to make it general, but, you know, then you want to make it more specific. So we have a lot of summit sessions, uh, which is why you want to get your ticket that touch upon all this stuff. So uh, yeah, that's that's my main first point here. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that, Peter? Well, yeah. First of all, I am so, um, I just have to kind of go off topic a little bit here and go, I, I'm just loving to see all the comments. All the activity is amazing. All the energy. I am reading Don and Gary and Chris and everybody is saying that they're they're so happy to be with uh, the Tennis Summit, which Maribon, I just want to congratulate you again on this being your fifth one. So uh, we do feel the love, guys. So we are not ignoring you. We see these comments coming in. Please keep them coming. We love it. And one of the comments was by Robert Foster, who says, how much time should you spend shadow stroking? And let's just think about what Maribon just said, about how we train and that we need to train more tennis specific. One of the things that I still do for a workout, and I don't know if you guys can see that. Let me know if you can see that or not, Maribon. Can you see my I can kind of see all? it. Okay. It's a little well, bit hard. But basically, yeah. what I'm trying to show everybody, I don't think it really shows well because of light. But I'm trying to show everybody that I have a Tabata timer. And basically, a lot of my workouts, I'll put the timer on for sometimes 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 15 seconds. So short burst of energy 
and I will do shadow stroke cardio workouts. I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna run on out three or four to five steps, pretend I'm hitting a forehand, I'll get my Tospin Pro and, and hit that until the ringer goes. And then I'll have like a 10 or 15 second break because I, you, you, know, you have like a 25 second break. So I'm like, if I can get ready in 10 or 15 seconds and be comfortable with that and go hard for 15 to 20 seconds, which is probably twice as long as regular point, and I'm working on my technique, I'm hitting a lot, I'm checking a lot of those boxes off. So just right there, and, and Robert, lots of times, you know, people say they don't have enough time for a workout. Lots of times you just do that 10, 15 minutes, you'll be gassed, especially if you're giving as much effort as you can, and you're improving your technique, you're improving your cardio, you're improving your footwork steps. So that's a workout I just encourage so many of my students to do. And again, another one of my favorite students, the, the second lesson I had today, this guy always gets tired in our lessons and every week. And again, I love this guy. I don't want you to think like, because we're giving tips. Sometimes it sounds like we're talking down you guys. I literally love this guy. But every week I ask him because he gets winded every week. I said, did you do the Tabata workout and the shadow strokes I told you about? No, I didn't. <laughs> and really all it takes is 10, 15 minutes. That's right. That's right. Beautiful. Uh comments there, Peter, really appreciate it. So we did get some, uh, questions about the summits. I just want to, you know, clarify and not leave those behind, obviously. So Miriam, great question. I see several sessions are listed for the same time during the week. Please explain to first timers like me how this works. No problem. So for a lot of these sessions, they are listed at the same time because they're going to be released at the same time. So the thing with these coaches is a lot of them are just so busy that we end up you know, recording uh, some of the sessions like uh, before the summit. And then what we do is we release them at the same time. So the good thing is that you don't have to, you know, pick and choose in between which ones. So they're all basically going to be up for 48 hours from when they're released. So say if a session goes up Monday at 9 a.m., it'll be up there for uh, until Wednesday at 9 a.m. and so forth. So Tuesday morning, stay up till Thursday morning. And that's with the free pass. And then we'll talk a little bit later about a special offer where you can get lifetime access to uh, all the lessons was a lot, a <laughs> lot more. Um, so stay tuned for that. So hopefully that helps Miriam and thank you for the great question. Uh, hey, Kareem, how's it going? Nice to see you again. Oh, see, look at this great comment. Peter, uh, I added 10 miles to my serve. Thanks to you. <laughs> there you yes. go. Thank you. Love thank it. you, Kareem. Love Big it. Love it. Yes. Um, so yeah. And again, you know, a lot of great comments, apologies and events. If we don't get to all of them, we just have so much to cover, but you can always email me as well. And, uh, that way, you know, I'll answer your questions. So, um, Peter, how about you go to the next one? The next one. Okay. I actually want to give the same student who did not do any homework, right. In the couple of weeks and he came out and he was kind of the same spot. He kind of had the same habits that he had in their first lesson. But I want to give him props because both of our lessons, he came with a small video camera and a tripod. And that is very, very rare that someone films themselves. And we have such a productive lesson because I'm giving him the tips. He's hitting the ball. And then I'm telling him, I'm giving them the, the audio feedback. I'm like, yes, you're doing it. It's great. You know, and then he'll hit a shot. That's amazing. I'll be like, okay, let's stop the lesson. Let's take a look at that shot, you know, and he can look at that just after he felt it and the connection between, you know, like first you hit it. So you feel it. Then the coach is telling you, man, that looked amazing. Then we're like, let's take a look at that. And he can see it all happening. And then on the flip side, sometimes I'll say, you're just not getting it. You're, you're, you're too close to the ball. Or you're, you know, you're, you're short coming over your shoulder. You got to reach out and he can see that. And then, and then even be able to show like, wait till you see the first three shots you hit. And then let's take a look at the last three shots you hit and to be able to see those differences, especially when you're feeling it is so powerful. And a lot of students are just afraid to video themselves and look at it. And I think maybe it's because you're like, you know, sometimes as they say, the truth hurts, you know, sometimes even look at things I do on video and go, Oh, I thought I was looking better than that, you know, but the more you look at it, you know, you can go, wow, I can really, I really see where I can improve. And, and then especially, you know, especially if you're starting at ground level, don't, don't look at it as a negative thing. Look at like, okay, this is where I am. 
And then you can see the improvement, you know, step by step, week by week. It's it's undeniable. And even if maybe you don't start off with much confidence on the video, videoing yourself, you know, after a month or two, it's going to build your confidence. And then you're going to be out there in your match and you're going to know what you look like. You're going to know what you're capable of. Okay. And uh, it's a very, very powerful tool. Um, there's no excuse because everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got a camera on their phone. So it can't be like, I'm not tech savvy. That, that is not an excuse. I'm not tech savvy. If you can use your phone and put, take a picture, take a video, you can do it. And you don't need somebody to video you. Just get a tripod. Just like this guy does. You go to Amazon, you get a tripod for 10, 15 bucks. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I can't stress enough, uh, you know, how important, uh, it is to videotape yourself. Uh, you know, I actually had Ian Westerman from essential tennis on my podcast and he went on like a 20 minute rant about it, but uh, it really is amazing and illuminating. You know, you may think that you have a, a great, uh, forehand for example, but then when you videotape, you might see, wow, actually, you know, my footwork isn't as good as it could be, or I have a hitch here that I never thought I, I had, or, you know, the way I constructed this point was actually very suboptimal and you wouldn't know that a lot of times without videotaping yourself. And, you know, obviously if you have a coach with you, um, then they can see some of these mistakes, but uh, it's very ideal to have that videotape. Um, and it's great to just study film. You know, some of the greatest uh, athletes in the world, they're, they're always studying film or most of them really. So Great stuff. We have a lot of questions here. Um, so, so there's there's been some questions, uh, Pete, about uh, Tabata. So, what app do you like? I think it's literally this says the Tabata app. Uh, <laughs> I, I just basically went to since I am on an Android, you have Play Store, and I type in Tabata. It says Tabata Timer. That's the name of it. it says Tabata nice. Timer, and um, but if you just go to your app store and you type in Tabata timer, they all pretty much work the same. And it's really cool because you can put the number of cycles and how long it is. So one thing that I like to do, I, I usually like to do 16 cycles, um, 25 seconds on, 10 to 15 seconds off. So that rounds about nine minutes. And again, you know, sometimes I'll do nine minutes. I'll be like, okay, that's all I have time for today. So I think that's intimidating too when we think about working out like, oh my God, there's an hour, you know? So sometimes I'll go, okay, I'm just going to, you know, at least commit for one round, get myself out of the apartment, into the gym, do one round. And then, and then I'll be like, okay, I feel great. I want to do another round. So sometimes I'll end up doing three, five, six rounds. And sometimes it'll just be one round, but it's better than no rounds. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we got a question about actually sharing your, <laughs> some people want to see your Tabata workout, Pete. You ever going to share that or is that um, proprietary? I actually have Tabata workouts inside of a lot of my, in, inside my membership. And um, I think if you type in Tabata tennis workout on YouTube, you can see me doing it. I, I think I have a video out there. Where I'm doing a Tabata workout. There and, you go. Uh, maybe, you know what I'm going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. I will commit this for you guys. I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. If you, if you become a lifetime member tonight, I'm going to give you my 10 best videos from the tennis con. I do something very similar to Marabon where I do the tennis con and he does tennis summit, but I will this week and it will be a bonus that I will send you. I will film myself doing a Tabata workout this week, a brand new video, and I will send it to you by the end of the week. I'll see everybody who is one of my buyers on my list and I will send you the Tabata workout, but only if you're a lifetime member. Wow. That's amazing, Pete. I did not expect that. Uh, I, I, I was so surprised that I actually froze on the screen, I think, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's amazing. Uh, thank you so much for that. And you know, we'll, we'll repeat that later on, but that's awesome. We got one other question. So Pete, any thoughts on, um, coaches eye versus swing vision? I feel like I've seen you use one of these. Love both. Okay. Mm. So coach's eye, you can basically take yourself frame by frame, which is really good. Swing vision show. I think swing vision gives you a lot more data. You know, you can see um, how fast your ball is going, how much spit. If you hit a top spin ball, if you hit a slice ball, it shows where the ball is bouncing. So I think if you want to kind of see your rallies, 
and see where the ball is landing, kind of see, see maybe watch your match back. Uh, I would use swing vision. If you want to film yourself close up and just scroll and draw on yourself and things like that, I would use coach's eye. Gotcha. 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 Very cool. Uh, let me take that off. Okay. Awesome. So let's get back to the, uh, the list. I know we have a lot of, a lot of stuff, like I said. So this is a, a real classic issue that I had um, when I was playing, and I'll just give you some background. Uh, when I was a junior, I had, I had so many misconceptions in tennis, but one of them was that I didn't want to warm up because I thought, why should I waste my energy warming up? You know, especially like when it was a hot day, I felt like just conserve energy, conserve energy. Um, but then, you know, I on occasion I'd get injured, and I I felt like I'd always have a slow start, and you know, I wondered what was going on, and so. You know, fast forward to many years later, I, I, I interview all these these wonderful experts in tennis, you know, uh, Dr. Nero Jayanti, and he mentions, hey, it's extremely important important to warm up. I talked to Rick Macy um, actually just a few days ago, and he says, it's really important to warm up. That's my number one tip for amateur players. And I talked to Mike Boyle, who's one of the top fitness experts in the world, and he says how important it is for people to warm up. So. Unfortunately, I don't, you know, I see a lot of people who just fail to warm up before their training and before their matches. And it's just extremely important because, you know, you decrease your risk of injury when you have a proper dynamic warm up. And I have one that I put on YouTube. So if you just go to the tennis files, dynamic warm up, just search that on YouTube, you'll see it. It's, <laughs> I already lost my train of thought, but basically, you, you want to perform a dynamic warm up before you're playing. Uh, you play your matches. It can be like 10 minutes or so, but it's going to really also enhance your performance because it's getting your muscles ready for the, the exact same movements that you're going to perform on the court. So I uh, just highly encourage you to to do a dynamic warm up and not just jump out on the court and, and start playing because then you're going to A, have a slow start and then B, uh, be at a higher risk of injury. So uh, any thoughts on that, Pete? I have a lot of thoughts on that. First of all, that's a great Great uh, discussion there, Maribon. And, and, and it brought back a, a flashback to um, I got to play a couple of years. Now I run Tennis Con out there at, at Newcomb's Ranch, so I don't play on the team anymore. But there was two years, like this camp is called Tennis Fantasies. So you'll play for like a John Newcomb, a Mark Woodford, a Roy Emerson, Rod Laver. Like it's, it's a mate, the Jensen brothers. So one year I played on Roy Emerson's team. And he would always say this to everybody, just not to me. You know, he would he would say, all right, mate, when you get out there, it's flat to the boards. And what he meant is basically like, once you start your match, he wants you going 100 miles an hour. And I got to interview John Newcomb for a course I made, The Legend's Guide to Tennis Mastery, and completely different. They were not in the same room. And, he, and, he, and so he was talking about playing all the different legends. And he's like, when you played Roy... You were always down 3-0 because he always came out so fast. So it was really intimidating because he always was flat to the board as soon as the match started. And so, you know, the, the advantage of thinking about when you go play your league match, most people are sitting around the table, you know, whether it's a men or women's match, the women have their table all nicely made up of a bunch of great food. But then just bring the beer and the chips. But a lot of people are just sitting around talking and not really warmed up properly. And so you can have a big advantage of going out there and being warmed up. And so you're ready to go from that. You don't feel like you're working your way into the match. You're like ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Huge yeah. point there. Uh, appreciate that, uh, Peter. I was just scanning some of the comments here. So we had a, a question about the right length to warm up. So uh, if I recall correctly, Dr. Mark Kovacs, I mean, he has a warm up, a dynamic warm up that you can do in 10 minutes or less. I mean, from my perspective, I think there's no like one exact time. It's just, you know, at the point where you're, you know, breaking a sweat and you feel like your body is, is in good shape to perform properly. I mean, any thoughts on your end, Peter? I, I really think 20 to 30 minutes, you know, the, the pros these days, they're warming up 45 minutes at least. Mm. If you go to a tournament you're going to see them 
like Rafa Nadal. I remember one night he played at night. He came out. He probably hit around 4 or 5 p.m., crushing balls. And then he played at 8. So he already, so he already hit like an hour or so. Then you know behind, because it's kind of cool with technology now, we've seen Rafa work out behind the scenes at like the U.S. Open. He's doing shadow strokes. Rafa's doing shadow strokes, guys. He's doing wall sits. He's using the band, right? He's, he's running up and down the hall. Like he's works himself up into a ladder, you know? That's why he's one of the best starters out there. Um, he, he doesn't take it easy before the match. You know, as soon as the coin tosses over, what's he do? He sprints back to the baseline. You know, think about when you go out to play your match, do you physically feel ready to sprint back to the baseline? Or you're like, whoa, I better not do that. Or I might hurt myself, you know, like I got, got. so he, he's already got himself going. And I think that's a really good way to think about it. Yeah. Love it, Pete. Thank you for that. Let's see. What do we have here? So we have a lot of agreements on the warm up. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. What's the best tool for measuring serve speed? So, I mean, there's some tools you can buy from, like, I think Encore. Offcourt has some uh, speed guns. Do you have a speed gun, Peter? You can get a speed gun. Go to Encore Offcourt. They got a lot of great stuff. Love Encore Offcourt. And you can also, there is literally an app on your phone called Serve Speed. So look, look for that. And that's pretty cool. It's a little bit tedious, but I think it works pretty good to where, like, you base, it basically walks you through some steps. It kind of measures, you know, based on where you are, where the ball lands, and it, and it films it. It can kind of tell you how fast it's going. So it takes a couple steps, but I definitely think it's pretty accurate. And, and, and the, swing, the swing vision also shows the speed of the serve. So that's really good, too, right there. Awesome. So, Pete. Oh, wow. 8.30 already. So, Pete, how about we go to your next one? Okay. Well, let me pull that right up. Okay. This is, this is a big one. Okay. Um, not sticking with a project long enough. And I know that, especially if you watch online instruction, it is so easy because a lot of the videos are very entertaining. I mean, I, I am, I, I will admit I am an online instruction. Not only am I an online instruction teacher, I'm an online instruction addict. I love to watch videos. I love to see tips. I love to go, oh, that makes sense, you know? Um, so that's good. I'm not saying not to do that. I even think the guy from um, uh, Intuitive Tennis even wrote, uh, uh, made a video lately, like, don't become a tennis addict, you know, a tennis online uh, tip addict, because it's good to, to get all this, but at the same time, you do have to have projects. So, like, especially when you go through the Tennis Summit, you're going to get a lot of information. That's why I suggest the lifetime you know, thing, kind of treat it like Christmas, like you're unwrapping a bunch of presents, but then think about maybe four to five to even six lessons that really made sense to you that's on something that you need to improve on right now. You know, the most obvious example I can give people is most people at some point in their life have trouble converting from a frying pan grip to a continental grip on their serve. Most people struggle with that. And the biggest difference between someone who actually gets it and looks good and eventually develops like a professional style looking serve isn't that they're more talented than you are. It's that they were willing to take their lumps longer than you. You know, excuses are, man, this is really hard or it feels really uncomfortable. Or when I go to play my match, I'm double faulting all the time. So I'm totally embarrassed. You know, the people who end up getting it, they have all those same things too. I remember when someone showed me that grip when I was a kid, I just thought there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to do this. I thought there's no way I'm going to do this. Then I watched TV and I watched all the pros play. I'm like, they're all doing it. I have to do this. And then I went and I served. And for a month straight, I did not make a serve, guys. I literally hit, I'm a, I'm a lefty. I was serving to the deuce court. It went well beyond the uh, ad court and kept hitting the curtain and the lights. I'll never forget it. It was pretty traumatic, but I just kept doing it. My coach kept saying, yes, that's it. That's it. Trust me. Just keep doing it. And I just kept doing it over and over again until I got it. And you have to be willing to stick with things until you get it. Don't give up on it. It will come. Don't tell yourself you're not talented enough or 
It comes easier to other people. Most of the time, it doesn't come easier to other people. They're just willing to stick it out longer than you. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Yeah, thanks for that, Pete. And- I really agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. Um, you know, I remember being scared to serve in volley, uh, especially during doubles. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to volley. Like I tried a few times and I'd brick a few volleys and then I would just serve and stay back. Um, but, you know, there was one day where I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to this no matter what. Like I know I can win points by hanging back, but I really want to, you know, groove this this part of my game and get it going. So you know, I committed and even though I got broke a few times in a row, I just stuck with it. And then it was only through that commitment that I was able to actually properly practice and then get my volleys going, my servant volley game. So uh really, really appreciate that, uh, that tip there to, uh, that we need to stick with our projects um, long enough to see lasting results. Um, let's see. So um, I will go with my next one then which is actually kind of a maybe even a twist on what peter just said and and this one is prioritizing short term winning over long term results is one of the biggest mistakes because you know i i did this as a junior myself like i you know i had all these tournaments and the only thing i was thinking about was just winning in the short term just winning the match winning the match and then you know, unfortunately, when I got into like the 18s division, there were players who I I used to beat through sheer consistency, who all of a sudden, you know, they were serving me off the court and hitting me off the court. And I wondered why. And, you know, a large reason why is because they were targeting their long-term development in their game. You know, they were working on their attacking style and, and putting away short balls and they were focused on just a more overall development of their game that could take them, you know, past college tennis into the pro tour and so forth. So um, that's a big mistake that we definitely see a lot of players are making. And two individuals who mentioned this uh, when I interviewed them was Nick Boletari and Taylor Dent, which um, if you sign up for the summit, you got a, a free tennis secrets playbook which has um, advice from over 50 uh, top coaches and, and pros. So you will see those quotes in there, uh, those pieces of advice. So um, that's just a big one, you know, like just, I mean, you know, if all you want to do is win, 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 like I get it. But even if you do just want to keep winning, like it's better to just focus on developing your game so that you can just reach a, a higher level uh, in the long run. So any thoughts, Pete? Absolutely. You have to really be honest with yourself with goals, okay? Um, I think a lot of people who follow online instruction, they're a different animal than a lot of club players. They want to learn the right way. They want to develop the strokes. But they also feel it's, it's like it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more of, a, of an inner battle, I think, than maybe a junior who... Uh, the coaches are always saying, Hey, you're young. Like, let's say a junior who starts when they're nine, 10, 11, 12, you know, those developmental ages, uh, I think for a a junior that's going to really develop to be a great player, the coach is always telling them, Hey, you've got time and let's develop this and let's develop that. And so the student can more buy into that where when you're an adult, uh, there's not a lot of coaches talking about development and taking time. and, and, And as we get older, you know, I'm almost 50 now. I hate to even say that out loud, but we feel like we have less time. So we feel more pressure to get it. Uh, so I, I think you want to be honest with yourself and go, okay, how much do I just want to get the stroke correct versus winning? And especially you can have a, there is going to be a point where you have to take more of a leap of faith and be willing to make mistakes and be willing to lose matches. But I also like to encourage my students to treat it like, you know, you're developing a product for Walmart. You know, a lot of people, just like, just like my student who for two weeks didn't practice and went and played a lot of matches. You know, well, it's going to be tough for him to just implement what he learned in a, in a lesson the next day. 
So what I like is if you're learning a new thing, think about you're making a product for Walmart. You know, you don't need to show it in your match right away. You can still use your old stuff that you know works. That's, that's product ready. That's ready to put on the shelves. It's been battle tested. It works in matches. But, you know, the most extreme, again, continental grip serve, you take one lesson on the continental grip serve and you have a little bit of success, it's probably not ready to bring and put on the shelves of Walmart and sell. People are going to bring it home. It's going to be broken. They're going to want their money back. So, you know, be willing to have secret projects that you're working on behind the scenes, build it up, build your confidence in it, start to do little tests, start to do little tests on yourself going, okay, how many in a row can I make out of 10? How many serves can I make out of 10 with a continental grip? And can I see the serve go in? So if you do that, by the time you finally bring it into your matches, you don't feel as much pressure because you trust it more. You're not going to trust something that you know isn't developed. Yeah. Love it. Thanks for that, Pete. So I got, uh, or we received a question about Slinger Bag, and I just want to address that, obviously, because it's you know our sponsor of uh, the summit. So I don't personally have uh, experience with the Spinfire Pro 2, but I mean, I can say that the Slinger Bag is excellent. You know, it's, it's first off, it's a great bag. You can put a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it's portable. I just wheel it out to the courts and, you know, it has a, a, a large amount of top spin on it if you want, uh, good speed, good frequency, pretty easy to use. So, I mean, I think it's a, a great machine. You know, if you really want like a ton more advanced features, then I would just say, look at the Spinfire Pro 2 and see what it gives you versus what Slinger Bag gives you. But, you know, I think in, in most cases, uh, Slinger Bag would uh, be great for you. Pete, do you have, by any chance have any experience with the Spinfire Pro 2? <laughs> I do not. I do not. Yeah. But I really love seeing all those Slinger Brag reviews on YouTube. I, like I said, I'm, a, I'm an addict myself. So I've seen a ton of those and it looks really cool. And I want one. We got to make that happen, Pete. We'll figure it out. Um, but uh, Pete, so thank you for the comments on my uh, tip there. Uh, biggest mistake. So how about we go with uh, your, I think your last one now, Pete. This is my last but not my least one. Okay. <laughs> this is pretty cool because <laughs> I just did a video with this 10 year old girl who, again, I'm helping at this high performance Academy. Her name's Hannah, Hannah banana. And I asked her what, what are the keys to tennis success? And off, I mean, she, I had no idea what she's going to say. And she goes, you have to be focused. You have to have the best, best effort and have really good footwork. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, video's over. Like she crushed it. <laughs> and, but the difference between her and a lot of the junior students or even adult students is she lives what she says. Like she lives it and she does all that. And she has phenomenal strokes, but most people, when they miss a shot, they start doing what? They start analyzing from the top down. How many times have you hit a shot? The first thing you look at is your racket. Then you start doing some shadow swings. Then you start really thinking about what you did. And most of the time you miss is because of your footwork. And I know as we get older, our footwork, our feet slow down, okay? I have lost a lot of steps. I'm really feeling it lately. But one thing I will say, which I, I have to give myself credit, is when I look at my footwork on video, I'm not talking about the balls I can run down. It's, di it's a different thing. When I look at my footwork on video, to this day, and still compare it when I walk around to a lot of juniors going around and hitting, I still put my footwork up with theirs because I developed it. You know, I still think a lot of the kids, I still have better footwork than they do because they refuse to really take it seriously. So I honestly believe in, 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 unless I really get hurt, um, and I've already got a bad pack, so it, it's, it's not about that. I believe I'm going to have good footwork as long as I'm on the court, no matter what age I am. I'm not saying I'm going to be super fast. I know I'm going to get slower and slower, but I think my footwork will always be good. I think I'm always going to do a boxer shuffle. And I think I'm always going to do a split step. And so focus on that first Rather than going out, turning the ball machine, your feet are flat and you're hitting, you're hitting shots. You're just focused on your arm and your, and your unit turn. Feet first. Pete, beautiful advice. Um, you know, if you, if 
you don't get to the ball, if you're not in a proper position, then, you know, beautiful technique's not going to save you. And, uh, you know, again, uh, in the playbook, I remember Michael Russell, who was a top American ranked pro, he uh, said that if you work on your footwork and your spacing is good, then it's much easier to hit the ball. It's not always about technique. So um, that's a great piece of advice. And for myself too, you know, when I get nervous in matches, uh, the first thing to go is my footwork. And so I, I try to re-engage that and uh, just have as much intensity on my footwork as I can. And that always helps me play much better. It helps me be consistent uh, when I uh, focus on that. So thank you for that, for that piece of advice there. Oh, we do have an interesting question on the, the sweet spotter. So Rick, I'm, I'm a friend of Jan who has created this sweet spotter and we actually uh, filmed some content uh, very recently. And so I got to use the sweet spotter and I definitely endorse it. I think it's a really cool product and it, it really does help you highlight technical inefficiencies. So, um, and if you want, you can email me. I actually do have like a special um, discount that you can get uh, through me if you want. So um, totally up to you. But um, awesome, uh, Pete. So let me get to um, my last one. So this is all about planning. You know, Alan Lakin said that if you fail to plan, then you're essentially planning to fail. And so, uh, you know, one of the big things that we forget to do is, is to plan. So like, you know, when we have a practice session, what are we doing during the practice session? What is the objective or objectives of the practice session? What are the actual drills? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, 90% of you at one point or another have gone, you know, have asked a, a friend of yours to practice, right? And then you go there and then there's no plan. And then you're just, that's when you go to hitting, you know, 50 balls cross court the whole time. And then, you know, you're not practicing with specificity, as I mentioned in my first big mistake. So um, having a plan in place, like, you know, knowing what you need to work on to elevate your game to the next level is is key. And then And then planning, you know, allocating, time and drills, specific drills to working on your game or practice sets or whatever uh, it may be. Uh, it, it really just planning is so key in life just generally with, with everything. So um, that's, uh, that's another of the biggest mistakes here. What do you think, Pete? I think, I think it's great. And I think especially with the audience we have tonight, like I said, this is a different crew. This is not your normal uh, club player who you know, is this fine with where they're at? Everybody wants to get better. And if you're not measuring your results, if you're not putting things in writing, like I want to do this, I want to do that, then it's going to be very, very hard to know where you're at. You know, if you're, if you're not measuring where you're going, you don't know where you're moving, but what gets measured gets moved. So if it's, I want to be, you know, a three five. I want to be a four zero. Okay. Well, you just can't say that. You know, you gotta be like, all right. I want to be a three five. I want to be a four. One of the ways I like to learn is I like to watch online tennis instruction. Okay, great. Is online is watching online tennis instruction going to get you to being a four zero? Probably not if you just watch it. So you're like, okay, I'm gonna watch three or four online tennis instruction videos. You know, this week on the serve or whatever. I'm gonna watch it. Then I'm going to shadow stroke. Then I'm going to film it. Then I'm going to go out to the court. Then I'm going to see how many out of 10 I make. Then if it, and then, and then maybe just start to measure how many out of 10 do I make? Okay. I made four out of 10 with my new grip. Then after a couple of weeks ago, okay, you know what? How many in a row realistically do I think I should be making at this point based off of doing the, watching these same three or four videos, shadow stroking, going out to the court and then hitting 10 serves. Okay, I think I should be six out of 10. Okay, if I don't make six out of 10 today, I'm going to do 10 sprints to the fence and back, or I'm gonna do 30 um, push-ups, right? Or I'm gonna buy my wife dinner, or I'm gonna buy my husband dinner. Like once you start to do that, that's completely different than I'm gonna go to tennis practice and practice, or I'm gonna watch a video. Now you're you're really putting a system for improvement. Yeah, I love that, Peter. Um, I'm actually putting together, um, you know, all the points so that we can recap it. But um, 
Yeah, you know, I per- particularly love the accountability aspect that she put down or that you explained to us because a lot of players, you know, they don't really, they're not as intense as they can be in their training um, because they don't have that accountability. But when you introduce that, that's when things happen. That's when you practice at your most, you know, your highest peak of intensity. So uh, really, really appreciate that, uh, Peter. Let's see. Any, any comments, Peter, that you want to address here? I just love seeing all these things. You know, do you have any advice on footwork for seniors? You know, uh, absolutely. I think that's all different. You know, I mean, I teach one senior who doesn't move his feet. He's like 62 years old. He's in unbelievable shape. I ask him, I'm like, do you have knee pain? No. Do you have back pain? No. Do you have any pain? No. Well, that particular senior, he's 62. That particular senior should be putting fear into his opponents by moving his feet. That could be an intimidation factor. Okay. But let's say you do have some problems. Let's say you, you hurt. Uh, I heard this one story about Roy Emerson when he was 60 something, he played a division one. This actually came a story from the guy who runs um, on court, off court, Joe Dinefer. I think he watched the match or he heard about the match. Anyway, he gave it one of his videos where he said, Roy Emerson played a division one college player. Think about that. The guy's like 20 years old. Roy's like 60 something. Roy's knees were gone. And so he didn't split step. But what he did every time is he flexed his knees down right before each shot. So he still was getting that readiness so he could at least have some springiness to the ball. And he beat the guy 6-1, 6-1. Fantastic. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. That's really amazing. Um, You know, there's been some great comments too about uh, camps versus private lessons and smaller groups. And yeah, it's really important, you know, because Jatender mentions how you know, he sent his son to a Nike tennis camp and it took him uh, a year to correct the bad technique, you know. So obviously that's not to say that all Nike tennis camps are bad or anything like that, but you really do have to be wary of um, who it is you're sending your kids to. And, you know, if it's like a group lesson, uh, I mean, you have to pay attention to the coaches and like how they're teaching and, you know, do some research into the coaches because it's really, really painful, like Jatender said, to develop bad technique and then have to go back and fix it. It's very difficult. Uh, it can be done obviously, and it takes commitment and, you know, looking towards the long term, as we mentioned, but it's much better to just get the technique correct in the beginning. Um, so you do have to be careful with who you're getting as a coach. And that's why, you know, Peter and I, we try to find the best information and teach the best information to you. Um, and that's what makes par- part of what makes this event so special because we've uh, I've collated the best, you know, coaches in the world like Peter to show you the exact techniques that you need to, to implement, the exact strategies, the exact exercises and mental game advice to improve. So, um, you know, that's why we that's why we do this. So we try to get you on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah. Anything else? Well, I'll just add one thing, and then and then I think you're going to show everybody uh, what you got for us. Uh, so I think it's good to kind of move on to that. We're at about an hour, but I just yeah. want to um, tell a quick because it's like that's always a thing. It's like private lessons versus group versus whatever. Look at what time you have, and whatever you can do, do it all. And I'm just going to use Tom Brady as an example. Like you would think Tom Brady has the sport of football mastered, okay? But Tom Brady practices with the team a lot. Okay, so he's got his group practice and he's got a whole bunch of different opinions from a bunch of different coaches in group practice. Then he's got an individual throwing mechanics coach that he's had for years that he trusts with his life. And and he and he'll go. I watched this one video where he's throwing the same route, the same exact route, guys, for hours. And they are going over for each throw with a fine tooth comb. And then what does Tom Brady do? He loves to watch film. He is obsessed with watching film. So if you translate that into tennis, you could be like, okay, Tom Brady watching film is like me watching the tennis summit. I'm watching, I'm studying these online lessons. I'm watching Federer hit shots in slow motion. I'm watching myself. I'm studying myself. That's my film sessions. I go to group clinic. 
I, I, I'm, I, got, I got that sparring that I'm doing where I can try new things with people at my level. That's super important too, because it's hard for a coach to emulate, you know, you playing against another three, five. So it's good to go in group classes. And then you got your coach, hopefully maybe that you go take a lesson with that can really uh, show you how you're headed and what, what still needs to be accomplished. Love it, Pete. Thank you for that. Um, great, great points as usual. So I want to um, just really quick um, share my screen and then recap, you know, what we talked about today and then talk about our um, special offer here. So let me share my screen. Um, great. So these are the, the points that we made today. So the first one is uh, the first biggest mistake is individuals, players, they refuse to shadow stroke. The second one is they don't film themselves. The third one is that players don't stick with projects uh, or, you know, changes in their game long enough to see lasting results. Um, the fourth is that they are more concerned with their strokes than their footwork. The fifth one is they don't adapt their training for tennis. They don't have specific tennis training. Sixth one is they fail to warm up before training. The seventh is they prioritize short-term winning over long-term improvement. And the eighth one is that they don't have a game plan for their training and also their matches. All right. I really hope you enjoyed that live stream interview with my great friend, Peter Freeman from Crunch Time Coaching. And if you have not yet, there's still time to sign up for the biggest online tennis conference in the world. I'm very proud to say that. Tennis Summit 2021. Just go to tennisfilesummit.com. That's T-E-N-N-I-S. F-I-L-E-S-S-U-M-M-I-T dot com to get your free ticket and to check out all the amazing sessions on there. Over 45 of them, including, I think, about 12 live streams. So pretty crazy this year. Uh, but in any case, I uh, appreciate all your support and check out the summit. And I do want to leave you with a quote as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Zenrin Kushu, I think. Hope I pronounced that okay. And Zenrin said, sitting quietly doing nothing, spring comes and the grass grows by itself. Very deep quote there. Hope you enjoyed that one. That is it for me. And again, thanks for all the support, whether it's from the podcast peeps or the summit peeps or just Tennis Files peeps in general. Uh, wishing you all the best and, you know, health, safety, and happiness. And we'll see you next week on the podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.